Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Dishonest. Goosebumps. Unreliable. Invisible. On demand. Flawed. Irrelevant. Hateful. Killjoy. Evil. Fraud. Heartless. Unstable. Liar. Ignorant. Absent. That's not my God. We have been a part of a series lately. If, if this is your first time tuning in to, to just church and you're like, okay, what have you been talking about? Is there Kool-Aid? Are there, are there robes? Are there tennis shoes? Is it a cult? And hopefully you'll get that along the way. Not those things, but that we aren't one. But we as a church have been talking about something that I think is absolutely critical. It's the simple fact that many of us buy into pretend gods. We follow a god, a version of God, that does not exist. The problem with this is this. That if you follow a god that doesn't exist, you're going to find yourself someday going, what in the world have I devoted my life to or believed in? You'll feel maybe sometimes like a fool. You'll feel like this shame that kind of comes in. Like, have I been messing with this stuff that doesn't even mean anything, have any value? Sometimes when you, well, oftentimes when you follow a God that doesn't exist, promises are broken. So we as a church just each weekend have been going through different ones. If you've missed what we've talked about, review time very quickly, very quickly. We've talked about the on-demand God. We've talked about the goosebumps God. And we talked about the killjoy God. If you're like, I have no idea what those are, that's totally okay. You just go to the app or go online and you can, you can check that stuff out. But this weekend, we are going to talk about something I think all of us wrestle with. The idea of a heartless God. The idea that a good God does not allow pain. I know enough about us as just human beings. Every one of us understands that there is pain all over the place. If you look at the big global picture, there is stuff going on globally, internationally, that many of us shake our heads at and are like, that is horrible, that is horrendous. Why in the world, if God is good, does that happen? Then you bring it a little bit closer to home. My guess is, and I'm just I'm guessing, that almost all of us, if not every one of us, has experienced our own version of pain. Where you've walked through something and it hurt. And it may have brought to the table at least a thought like, God, this is messing with me. This hurts. See, when pain gets real personal, that's when you and I typically start to bring these questions up. Give you a short story. 
Katie and I were married, uh, and, and I got to pick uh, my groomsmen. She picked everything else, which was fine. It's cool. It's really all I wanted. I, I was like, I'm picked. So I, I picked the groomsmen. And my best man, Josh Buck, you don't know him. But he and I grew up together, middle school, high school, college. I will not tell you stories at all. Those are off limits to you, just telling you right now. But we enjoyed life together. He's a six foot four, as red haired as any human being can get, incredibly talented. It really frustrated me. Like, we would talk about what we would do, like, for a girl that we liked, and I'd be like, yeah, I bought her flowers. And then he would tell me he wrote a song and sang it to her. I was like, I hate you. Incredibly talented sports, a good leader, could sing, and just amazing. So I mean, just growing up together, I was like, okay, you're going to be the best man in my wedding. He was the best man, and, and, and it was a great time. Two years, two years after Kitty and I got married, my buddy Josh Buck began to walk through pain. It's heartbreaking. Two years after we got married, uh, I got news about my buddy that their young three-month-old little girl was tragically, accidentally killed by a fan that fell on her. And I remember them going through it, and all of us, all of us were like, how does this happen? Why does this happen? About a couple years after that, Josh and his wife, Shelly, went on a vacation. It was a vacation meant to, in a sense, to memorialize their daughter. They had, they had walked through a ton of grief, and, 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 and they went on a vacation. They arrived uh, pretty late, but, but they got in there, and as soon as, as soon as they got there, I mean, Josh wanted, like, I'm going to go take a dip in the ocean. And he went and took a dip in the ocean, but he didn't judge things correctly. He jumped in, the waves threw him down, and he had a severe accident. It was so severe, and, and enough people heard about it, that the news actually did a report on it. And I, I thought, I'm just going to show you. It's an old, it's an old, old story, it's, but it'll help you understand Josh's life. Take a look at this. Lee, one and a half years ago, Josh and Shelley Buck lost their three-month-old daughter when she was pinned under a window fan and suffocated. And now, after another accident, Josh Buck is paralyzed. But Josh and wife Shelley say they will not feel sorry for themselves. He's unable to walk. He's barely able to move. But 30-year-old minister Josh Buck says he's not about to give up. And so obviously my body is broken right now. But if there's a God, um, he's smarter than I am. And I've got to be willing to, to walk the road that he has for me. And so this is the road that he has for me. Buck bruised his spinal cord and fractured vertebrae in his neck while swimming in rough surf during a Cancun vacation with his wife and friends. I was just diving into waves. Just as I hit just one of these bigger waves, it just it threw me to the bottom. And um, I hit my head on the bottom. and. Um, and obviously right, right away I knew something was wrong. This latest challenge comes a year and a half after the death of the couple's three-month-old daughter, Ava. She suffocated when a window fan fell and pinned her underneath. And as horrible as it was, and still is, we survived. We had to just move on with life. And not forgetting her, 
but um, I didn't lose Josh in the process. He's still he's still who he is. He might he might not be able to do the exact same things that he used to, but we can still cling, you know hold on and cling to each other. Josh and wife Shelley are expecting a new baby in June. Josh is at Mary Freebed Rehab Hospital for therapy. Optimistic he will recover the use of his body. It's such a crazy, crazy chain of events and something you'd never, ever pick to happen yourself. We just have seen so much healing already and we're just waiting to see our, see our miracle. Josh hasn't, uh, hasn't regained use of his body the way he used to be able to use it. And, and I, I would imagine you've experienced, whether it's yourself or a friend or a family member, or maybe just a story that really landed close to your heart, that when you and I have witnessed and seen and experienced pain, it messes with our understanding and comprehension of this good, loving, almighty, all-powerful God. Maybe you've asked the same question that I think Josh and Shelley have asked. I know I've asked it. Here's the question. Why is God allowing this to happen? I believe this question is a question that not all of us are mature enough to, to admit. Okay, So I'm going to bring it up. Not all of us are, are, are willing to be like, can we talk about that? Can, are we allowed in church? Why is God allowing this to happen? And you can put whatever this is in your life. We all have our own stories, some really close and some distant. But, but why is God allowing this to happen? If you've ever felt that, said that, prayed that, screamed that, cried that, you're not alone. I can tell you from the vantage point of a pastor that this question gets asked all throughout the day, every single day, all the time, by anyone and everyone. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or if you don't even believe God exists. You have a tendency to even ask this kind of a question. And you are not alone. And in fact, there is evidence, there are stories, there are places that you and I can look at and be like, am I the only one that bad, that pain, that hurt happens to? No. Let me take you on a journey through history. Here's Job. If you're not familiar with Job, he's in the Bible. For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. My guess is someone was like, how did they know? He was walking through horrible, walking through absolutely an atrocious situation and was crying out and it appeared as though everything was falling apart. I mean, that will mess with your view of God when you and I go through such tragedy. Well, again, as we're going through history, I can introduce you to one of my favorite characters, King David. He was poetic. Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I am in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Some of you are already like, why have we not read these verses? Why is this the first time? Why did I not know about this? I thought the characters in the Bible tended to have a pretty sweet life. 
My guess is most of us have felt these kinds of words. We've experienced these kind of words. And it's messed with our version of God, the God that we believe in, the God that we're following, the fact that he's good, but there's this horrible pain. Perhaps one of the most influential people to have ever walked this earth even had issue with uh, pain. His name is Paul. Look what he did. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now, if you're like, literally? Like, because like, yeah, that, that does stink, right? No, no, no. There seemed to be, we don't know what it is. Some people have guessed. If anyone tells you they know exactly what it is, they don't know what they're talking about. We actually don't know. We just know that he was given a thorn in his flesh, a pain, an issue, some sort of physical thing. If you're like, how bad was it? A messenger of Satan. Many of us are like, yeah, I've called a few headaches that, right? He's got some physical something. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me three times. Don't forget who this is, Paul, who was knocked off a horse. Like, hey, I want you to do a lot of things. He was engaged by God in ways that many of us would say, I haven't actually had that kind of a conversation. And Paul ended up changing, well, frankly, I think what you and I know about Christianity. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. My guess is you've pleaded too. I have. I've pleaded for my buddy Josh. I've pleaded for people that you don't know but that are very close to me. I've pleaded for our country. I've pleaded for things that are really far away globally. I have pleaded. I bet you've pleaded too. And you may have, you've pleaded more than three times. You've pleaded. And if it's messed with your view of God where maybe you even thought, well, God's heartless. If there's all this pain, God's just heartless and I don't want anything to do with him. Well, let me help you. I think this helps. Pain wasn't a part of God's perfect design. If you want to know the heart of God, if you want to know what God's thinking, what God likes, what he thinks is best, what God's agenda was, then you got to go back to what did he first make? Because if he first made all of this pain and torment and problems and issues, well, then you might got some, you might have a little bit of a case here. But pain wasn't part of his perfect design. Let, let me t- just take you back to the, to the beginning. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw it was very good. And it was. It was very good. If you're not reading between the lines, when God created, cancer wasn't there. Betrayal was not going on. There was not people pitted against people. There wasn't racism. Much of the pain that you and I have wrestled with and gone through. You want to know what it was like when God said, all right, I'm going to make something. It's going to be amazing. He didn't just say, and here's a little dose of pain just because that's the kind of person I am. No, he made it and it was perfect. Some of the pains that we even now go through are not a result of creation. They're a result of sin. 
many of us think that for God to be good, then pain and heartache and unanswerable questions, all of that has to be removed. Meanwhile, we don't parent that way. Meanwhile, many of us work out all the time and cause tons of pain. You see, that we don't, we don't apply the same principles and thought processes to our lives as oftentimes to God. If God's going to be good and full of heart and love, then, then block God. Spend the rest of my life blocking for me. And if you do, then you're good. So maybe you wondered, okay, so okay, 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 okay. If he didn't create at the beginning this whole pain thing and this whole problem thing, this whole hurt thing and this heartlessness, he's not, okay, 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 okay. then why? Why is there this appearance at times as though he doesn't care because we're going through stuff? I think you go back to Paul's words. who was like, hey, I pleaded three times. Well, let me keep reading to you. This is after he's pleading God. Each time he said, God's response, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Now, most of us do not sign up there. You know what I want today? To be made weak. I can't wait. Most of us don't live that way and bring that upon ourselves. Most of us do not rejoice in it and find it to be absolutely amazing. Most of us, current culture is, if you have any kind of weakness, you're like, get it out. Pain, hurt, get away from me. And we spend our whole thought process trying to remove, 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 or bury Meanwhile, God's like, you know what? You know what this pain that you're experiencing could do? It can do something. It can actually do something. See, what I would tell you is God does not always cause pain. But he can use it. And some of us right now, and I'm, I'm telling you this because I love you. I mean this. Perhaps the reason that you, you have pain in your life, not because God threw it into your life and said, take that. But maybe he allowed it into your life so that you could get stronger. Maybe he allowed it into your life so something good could come out of it. Most of us, when we walk through it, we're like, get it away, get it away, right? right? But maybe God's, maybe God's perspective is totally different, saying, hey, I think this could make you, I think this could do something good. I, I think we can use this in an awesome way. Paul got this a little bit. Took him a while after the pleading. <laughs> he pleaded, take it away, take it away. And finally, Paul came to this conclusion. I'll show you his actual words. I'll show you what actually happened. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. Some of us are like, I do not relate whatsoever. Most of us don't show up to work and be like, yes, yes, all the awesome, horrible things that happened to me. I, I cannot wait to tell you about this. No, we don't. We just, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. Why? Why? So that the power of Christ can work through me. If I asked you at the beginning of the message, would you like the power of God to work through you? Would you like the actual power of the Creator to work to do something in your life and through you? Most of be like, that sounds pretty awesome. What if one of his main ways to do that is in the midst of our horrible moments? 
the moments that we would never sign up for. In fact, many of us would run from it. (laughs) So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. Because it's not he's like, oh, I'm so excited for this being a part of my life. No, he begged for it to go away. But once he said, okay, now that it's here to stay, all right, then, then do something through this, God. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I've wrestled with this quite a bit, frankly. And I remember a moment I encountered that I'm going to be very open with you. And I need you to listen to everything I'm going to say. But I learned a long time ago, and I'll tell you why, that oftentimes pain becomes a necessary part of life. Where pain can eventually have this purpose. Pain can actually make us better. Pain can do something. I remember living in the house, a house that Katie and I actually, when we first got married, we lived in a house, small little house, anybody house. The garage was so small that if you parked your car in there, you couldn't get out of your car. Some of you are like, mm, I got one. Of, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're like, so why? You, it, it was storage. And, and I remember our, our oldest, Hayden, was born and, and, and lived there. And, and we, he, he would run laps around the house, not on the outside, on the inside. The house was not very large, but, but each of the rooms were pretty much connected. So in the mornings and the evenings, and we loved it because it what, burnt energy, he would just do laps. And we're like, go for it, buddy. Go for it. I remember one particular morning, he's doing laps. Katie and I are getting ready. Uh, but as he kind of rounded one of the corners, uh, his foot hit the door side of, of our room, and, and he learned how to fly. <laughs> and uh, as he, as he, we didn't know this at the time. As he was flying, uh, he got to personally meet our dresser. And uh, our, our, our son... We didn't know really any of us until we put the pieces together until all of a sudden there is a small child crying and it's a cry you're going, oh no. So I get down and he's so little I can grab him by you know, his arms and kind of just turn him over, right? And I'm looking, I'm like, what happened, what happened? And then I catch view of his forehead. And then blood started to Pour out. Many of you, you've, you've been there. Maybe it was you. Maybe it was one of your kids. I've been, so I don't know what to, I mean, no, no, there's no parent training manual, or at least I hadn't read it. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to do. And he's crying. And, I, and when I saw what happened, it was, you just get this, you're like, that, we got to go to the doctor. That's not normal. That's not a, no, there's no Band-Aid going to do this thing. This is bad. And he had, he had hit the corner of a dresser drawer that had just slightly been left out. And so we rushed to the doctor and I'm holding him and he's crying and he hurts. I cannot imagine. And, uh, and we get into this room and the doctor's like, hey, dad, we're going to need your help. I'm like, all right. And I don't know what to do. All I know is my hand is like holding a forehead and I can see my child's blood on my hand. And I'm like, this is trauma. Do you, can, I, can I have some help? Because I'm struggling with this. 
He's like, put Hayden on the table. I was like, okay, that's how he wants me to help. So I set him on the table, and I, I began to set him down on the table. Hayden wouldn't let go of me. And that's when the doctor was like, Dad, this is when we need your help. I'm like, I thought I was done with my help. And he's like, we need you to hold your son down. Part of me in my head's like, ah, no, I'm sure I'm paying you to do this. Right? I mean, I mean, just. He's like, no, we need you. We actually, we need you, we need you to restrain him. I remember grabbing his arms. And he was on this special bed that I had to restrain him enough to where they could strap him down and confine his arms. Yeah, he's crying out for me. And I feel this tension. He wants daddy. He wants me to remove him from the situation. He wants me to take him out of this moment. But I know that if I do, we still have a major problem. And that wasn't really the worst of it. They strap him down and now I've got to hold his head. As they stitch him up. We left. Hayden all stitched up. He was so exhausted that pretty much when we got into the car, he fell asleep. As I was driving, that's when it clicked for me. I think God does for me on a regular basis what I just did. I think God on a regular basis, even though I don't like the pain I'm going through and I blame it on him, he's like, no, we got to do this. I'm going to let you go through this, but we got to do this. Let me show you something. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that, that everyone, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. I want you just to notice those two words. I underline them. Gave and sent. If you are, if, if you are resonating at all with any of this, if, if you are struggling with, does my pain and my hurt and what I've had to go through, does that mean, does that mean God does not love me? Does that mean that God has something out for me? Maybe I haven't lived good enough or been nice enough that, that basically the God that other people talk about how nice he is to them and loves them and provides for them and blesses them. Maybe I don't get that God. So to me, he's heartless. But then you got to mess with this. The fact that God joined this whole circle. See, when I talk to you and I, and we're like, okay, okay, let's talk about pain and hurt. It's not just about your hurt and my hurt. God joins the circle with us, and he wants to speak up. And I want to give God some time to speak up about the hurt and the pain that he's experienced on our behalf. I can bring you to what this week means. If you are new to church and Jesus we are walking into what is known as the Passion Week. And if you've ever wrestled with God being heartless, let me tell you what God put himself through. It started in a garden where Jesus was praying. Jesus was going through so much agony. 
So much anxiety, pain. Like, like this was like just tormenting him, what he was about to go through. So much agony he was feeling. He began to sweat blood. Most of us have never experienced such agony. Not emotional and spiritual agony like that. He's arrested illegally in the garden. And he goes to an illegal Jewish trial. They do it in the middle of the night pretty much, which is just by, well, I mean, that's just illegal as it is. And What they did is they, they blindfolded him, Jesus, the Son of God, the one that we often say, oh, you're heartless. They blindfold him and begin to smack his face. It's a proven fact that if you're, if you're blindfolded, that's a part of the, the torment they're trying to create because you don't know where the next punch is coming from. And so to be blindfolded, it's actually proven it cause, causes more trauma. They begin to just beat him in the face. Eventually they get done with him, and they send him off to the Romans, who are notorious for their cruelty. They prided themselves on how badly they could hurt people. So they send him off, and the Romans proved true to that. At one point, they would restrain Jesus and then beat him. They would beat him so severely with uh, a tool that they had that would have con- well, had, had shards of, uh, of pottery on them and, and metal, metal beads, and they would have beaten him so bad that you would have been able to look at his back and see muscles and bone. They have evidence from all over the place that multiple people with such a beating would have died. And they beat him and beat him and beat him and beat him and beat him. And I guarantee you, his reasoning for allowing that is you were on his mind. Later on, they would beat him again. This time they would take a stick, pretty much, and they would beat him and beat him and beat him more. By this time, he is experiencing so much blood loss, almost nearly completely dehydrated, and has just a hard time even thinking. They take this crown of thorns. They literally take thorns. They create this little crown and shove it onto his head, trying to shame him. And now, all of that was just a precursor. They then would take him off, and introduce him to what has been called the perfect execution. The perfect execution was this. It was because they had deemed it the most successful way to make a person go through the most amount of pain ever. That's why crucifixion. That's why you and I have tattoos of crosses or crosses in our homes or we see the cross and we think it's a big deal. You need to know that way back then it was a sign of the perfect execution, a way to really make someone hurt. So they took Jesus, nearly beaten to death, and they would have taken nails and literally nailed him to pieces of wood. They, they positioned the nails, uh, and they knew how to do this, where it wouldn't break a bone and it wouldn't cause a ton of blood loss because they wanted pain to be experienced for a long time. It would sever some nerves, creating some burning sensations that just wouldn't go away. They would then take the feet and the knees and bend them in such a way that with a seven to a nine inch nail, they could drive it in and and nail his his feet. And if you think it's over, it's not. 
He would then be on display, usually naked. Almost every time someone was crucified, they were naked. So they were shamed in front of people. They were not really up high. They were low where people could see them in their face. And he would sit there and hang. But again, that's not the worst part. See, what would happen is the body would begin to break down. Joints would begin to dislocate. It was almost always the person being crucified would have dislocated shoulders, elbows, and wrists, causing a new introduction to pain. In fact, it would get so bad that the person being crucified would try to somehow alleviate the pain, but then would overuse their lungs in such a way that their lungs would begin to shut down. Eventually, someone being crucified would typically not die of blood loss, but failed lungs and then a failed heart, and that's what happened to Jesus. He then died. Why do I tell you about my buddy Josh? about Paul and Job and David and the disgustingness of a crucifixion. It's because pain is not a sign of a heartless God. Pain, if you have believed that pain is not the sign of a heartless God, it can oftentimes mean the absolute opposite. John 3.16 again. For God loved the world. For God had such a big heart that he gave his one and only son. God loves you. You might be going through the worst of the worst. Your story might be the worst story in the entire area. But let me bring you to the point of danger. Just an observation. Calling God heartless requires you to reject a sacrifice. If you're going to land on the fact, if you're going to land on like, okay, here's my fact. God is heartless. Then you have to reject a sacrifice. To you, it then has to mean absolutely nothing. You have to say, you know what? I don't care what he did. Or maybe, maybe you don't think it was him, but you have to reject it. And many of us in the midst of our pain, I'm not trying to belittle your pain. I'm telling you that your pain could have a purpose if you do something with it. If you don't just wallow in the sorrow and the pain and the grief, it's okay to be mad about your pain, by the way. You'd be very frustrated. <laughs> Paul, I gave you a verse just to hope that maybe you can hang your hat on that one. Paul was mad. He pleaded. It's okay to plead and be upset and be like, I hate this pain. It's okay to hate the pain. It's not okay to wallow in it because I think, I think God can do something amazing. If you're like, well, okay, how, how, how do I take cancer and do something good with it? How do I take losing someone too soon and do something with it? How do I take financial tragedy or whatever, whatever your this is? How, what do I, I'll show you. Treat heaven like it matters more than earth. Treat heaven, the eternal, like it matters more than earth. See, right now we have a tendency to overvalue right now and undervalue our future. Talk to a five-year-old about a savings account. They're going to be like, but I want this toy right now. Talk to a teenager about their retirement. 
they're going to look at you like you're the dumbest human being in this world. You're going to be like, what are we talking about right now? And oftentimes, though, we find ourselves equally guilty. When I talk to you and me and we lean in and talk about heaven and even hell, when will heaven matter to you? When? It often matters to the people that I'm with and spend time with around a funeral and they begin to process like, wow, this does matter. But when's it going to start mattering to you? See, if you want to go through your pain, then you got to understand the temporary. Pain is temporary. This life is temporary. Earth is temporary. That whatever you're walking through, as much as it hurts, that God's perspective is not just our hurt and our 80, 90, 100 years here on earth. He's like, yeah, that's painful. I hurt for you. I believe God cries for your pain. I know that. And so I'm telling you, he's looking at that, but he's also looking way, way, way to the right and left, your past and your future, going, if you'll hold on, if you'll use this, If you'll think about heaven and know that one day you will be cured or one day you might even be reunited or one day this will pass, when will heaven matter to you? That's how you begin to walk through your pain where it's like, I don't like what I'm going through, but I'm going to get stronger from it. I'm going to let Jesus work through it. When will heaven matter to you? But guess what? Heaven isn't just for you. Look at this, John 3, 16. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone. If you're thinking this is a sermon like, oh, Pastor David wants us to dwell on on how much God loves us. Well, that's a part of it. Some of you who have never accepted that, believe that, lock that in. And you're like, that's foreign to me. Yeah, yeah, this could be a time where you're like, okay, I accept God's love for me. He's not heartless. He's amazing. And you own that. But maybe you've already owned that and you know that. And everything I've already told you, you're like, yeah, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Well, guess what? Heaven isn't only for you. Sometimes we, we treat church like, oh, church is for me to come get a certain feeling or to have a certain thing happen to me. No, no, church actually was orchestrated for us to help anyone and everyone know that heaven and hell are both very real. And if you put them all in a line, what matters more, earth or heaven? What do you think God's answer is? So you and I are called to something. Not only to live through our pain and our hurt and our stuff. Okay, heaven, heaven will arrive someday. Uh, I'm going to get through this. but, But what do you do now in the midst? You begin to help others know that God is real. God loves us so much so to send his one and only son. Not... Or some easy walk down to a pretty cross with a pain-free moment. No, God himself encountered pain. And I believe God goes through pain when you go through pain. So you and I have got to devote our energy, our time and thoughts to heaven. Perhaps that can begin to bring not only peace, but purpose. I have friends who have gotten cancer and spent the remainder of their lives telling people about how amazing God is and have introduced many people to know who Jesus is. My buddy Josh, who could no longer walk, now travels with his wife all around the nation 
helping couples and families walk through grief of their own, knowing where to find hope in Jesus. You can take your pain and think it's the worst thing ever, or you can leverage your pain and help people know that heaven is absolutely for real and this pain is just temporary. God has a huge heart. He loves you. Let me pray for you. God, we bow before you with, I think, mixed emotions. The emotions of our hurt and our pain and our tragedy. And then a hope that you'll do something with it. God, whatever anyone is currently walking through, would you use it, God? If it's your will, we'll heal it. <laughs> take it away. We plead with you, God, take it away. But if you think it will make us stronger, if you think it will lead someone to know who you are, Help us to own that and live that. I thank you for loving us. Thank you for sacrificing for us. Help us to not take that for granted. We love you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our Savior. Amen.